0: Now that we've fixed the class, 15 minutes fast. So, <clears throat> Anyway, Romans 3. Uh, we're uh, going to clean up some stuff in verse 25 and, and then get into verse 26, kind of setting up for ending the chapter hopefully next week. Um, in our study, this is lesson 37 through just on three chapters. So, uh, But I told you we were going to go slow through here. Uh, because of the importance of the doctrinal information that's here. And as we uh, have seen here, over, uh, starting in verse 24, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God." "...to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Which, I'm sorry, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude, and what a great conclusion that we come to, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law." And again, we've, we've been down, we've spent a couple weeks in verse 25 looking at that issue of the propitiation. And now as we begin to, uh, again, clean up some stuff in verse 25, look at verse 26 with the goal of ending the chapter next week in, about that issue of the law of faith and uh, going forward. In, in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The, the, the ending of that verse, the, the faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, how? Through the forbearance of God. And again, the issue is declaring his righteousness. He, he, back in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God. Verse uh, 22, even the righteousness of God. Verse 25, to declare his righteousness. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time his... So the whole thing here is about his righteousness. And his righteousness, his ability to be just and the justifier. His ability to come in and say, man is guilty. That's what we've been seeing. The courtroom, again, we're back in the courtroom thinking here. Paul has uh, proved the case. The judge has come down and said, man is guilty. However, I'm going to be so just. My holiness, my righteousness, my integrity is intact. But at the same time, I'm going to come over here and give the answer to man's sin and to to give the answer, the, the plea deal, if you will, to the condition, and that's going to be in the propitiatorial work of my son. So now I am the justifier. So I am, he, he is able to go through and to do both. And what begins to happen here in verse 25 is that he set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And that the, the work of the Lord on the cross at Calvary is the answer for man's sin all the way back to Adam. And that's where Paul is dragging us in our thinking here. And he does it through the forbearance of God, that, that word forbearance, to extend time for payment, Okay, to, to, push, to push the issue of, of receiving the payment um, down the road. <laughs> he, he's patiently waiting for payment. You know, if you have a credit card, you have what's called a grace period. Really, it's a forbearance. They're waiting to be paid. You know, you go into the restaurant, you order your meal, you eat, you pay with the piece of plastic. What are you guaranteeing? You're going to pay the bill. It says so on the bottom of your receipt. If you read the receipt, that the signer, you know, guarantees will pay the bill. But you don't pay it then. Where do you pay it? In 25 days or whenever it comes to you. That's kind. Of, that's the idea there of. The forbearance, and we're going to see that as we go down. So, what happens here in the the legalese here in verse 25 is how can God legally deal with your sins, your problem, your nature, and at the same time not violate who He is, His righteousness, His justice. And really, that's why verse 26 is such a key, if not the key, verse in all of Paul's epistles to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So in in the, the legal document, the court record of Romans, think about, you know, they go read the transcript, okay, here's the transcripts. We see that God can maintain his justice, that he is a just God. But we also find out that he is the justifier, because his justice has been, we saw last time, Isaiah 53, he's been what? Satisfied. So, when the, when, with the work of propitiation here, Jesus Christ becomes the only one who personally satisfies God's justice. And he does it at Calvary. And because of that, now God is able to do something for mankind, for you, for me, while maintaining his holy, righteous standard. And he's able to provide justification for the sinner. Again, it's it's unto all and upon all them that believe. Three twenty-two. Okay, so you have to. It, it's a wonderful thing when you get into this uh, last week's study about the with, about the propitiation and going back and seeing the personal touch to it. There were a, there are a number of verses we didn't even look at just for, because of time. But what happens is is when you begin to realize that your salvation is not a partnership. Between you and God. You're not in the equation at all. Eternal life is not a partnership. <laughs> okay, partner, I'll be the silent one. You be the talk, or no, you be silent. Usually is how people think about the relationship that we have with Calvary, with, with God, is you be the silent partner, and I'm gonna, and there's no partnership at all in it. We're not partners with God. That's why I said before the propitiational work here isn't done between for it isn't done between us and Christ or Christ he it's done between the father and the son and that's why I was trying to show you that that transaction is between them he then turns to mankind and says i'll, I'll make that avail to you it, it's like the Abra- abrahamic covenant back there in genesis god made a deal with himself when he did the Abrahamic covenant. He then allowed Abraham and Abraham's seed to be a part of it if they would do certain things. Uh, A covenant is a wonderful thing. It's agreement between two parties. (laughs) You know, that's what it is. We make a covenant, you know. Uh, We have Q&A this afternoon, and uh, Gary sent me a list of questions. I had to pre-read them and scan them for the good ones, you know. But... uh, in a, you know, a testament goes in force after the death of the testator. But a testament is not a covenant. But a covenant can be in a testament. Okay, A testament is, here's what my wishes are once I'm gone. And by the way, in that, I have an agreement with Paul that needs to be honored and worked out. There are two different elements, two different things. Paul says we're the ministers of the New Testament and everybody has a cow over that. In, and what it is is you got to understand what does Paul talk about in the rest of that chapter? The Spirit, not the letter. See there's a so anyway, I say all that because the covenant the, the agreement here is between the Father and the Son when it comes to the propitiatorial work. And you understand that by that phrase, through faith in his blood. And that's the part that we're looking at as we come through. You and I, we're called to have faith in Jesus Christ, in his shed blood. But the Father as well did too. And in light of, the propitiatory—I I love that word. I've—I I got it written everywhere, you know. The pre, okay. In light of the propitiatory work of Christ, the Father Himself put His total confidence and trust in what His Son's blood was to achieve, and when He does that. That then becomes an issue of regardless of what man does. Uh, Hold on here, come back to 1 John chapter 2. Interesting verse back here. And I know John belongs to Israel, but we all work together, okay? Regardless of what man does, whether man believes or not, God is satisfied in what his son has done and has accomplished and achieved. As he fulfilled the will of the Father. And again, regardless of what man does, 1 John 2, verse 2. And he, talking about Jesus Christ the righteous, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that interesting verse? You know, that verse obviously talking to the little flock and their program and so forth, but who was he? He was the the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. It didn't matter who believed him. By the way, did everyone in Israel believe? No. They signed off on his death certificate. See? So when you come back into Romans 3 here, Jesus Christ, the faith in his blood, regardless of what man does, the Father placed his confidence and trust in what his son was achieving and accomplishing on the cross, because it was a part of the plan. Come over with me to Isaiah chapter 1, or back with me to Isaiah 1. It's an interesting thing when you think about God the creator. We're talking about the heavenly places. We'll talk a little bit about this. You know, God loves freedom. So he gave man free will. But in doing that, he took a risk. He made man to come along and a creature to come and worship him and honor him. But to do it based on a free will, based on their choice to do it. And in creating Adam that way, or mankind that way, he took a risk doing that because he knew what could happen. They wouldn't trust him. They wouldn't worship him. They wouldn't honor him. But in taking the risk to allow sin to enter into the picture, he can only do that if he's got what? An answer for that. And he did that with his son. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Back over before they created anything, here's the plan. This is what's going to happen. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And son, you're going to go and do this and do that. And you know what this, you know... (laughs) Reading and studying about Christ and his attitude about going to Calvary, he was ready to go in then. Put me in now. Let's just put it on the board from the beginning. And the, Lord, the father's like, no, we're working the plan. No, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, you know. I, I guess baseball's back on for now. Who knows? <laughs> okay. For today anyway, right? So the thing is, is when that happens, God says, we'll, we'll take a chance here. And when you come back and you look at the Old Testament and the issue of the sacrifice, the father knew he played his faith in his blood. The father knew the son was going to go, the blood of the innocent one, that little lamb, Passover, the picture and everything. He says, I'm going to go and do that in the Garden of gethsemane not my will but thy will be done he cries i'm gonna go do it he gets up on that cross we looked last time my god my god why has thou? i'm not a man i'm a worm he experiences it all down all the way through it and at the end what does the father say on the third day up from the grave you arose he he, come on home i'm for you fulfilled yours i'm fulfilling mine and now we're going to go take it out to everybody, we're going to change the program, we're going to do this it's going for the sins of my people and many to an all man ministry so that the nations of the world come to the obedience of faith, Romans 16, 26, all of that but you know when Israel when he instituted the sacrifice schedule with Israel it's an interesting thing in his attitude about it Look at Isaiah 1, look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? And I'll remind you that capital L-O-R-D there is Jehovah. Okay, that's what that word means. Jehovah. Jehovah. By the way, to know whether it's God the Father speaking or God the Son, in the Old Testament, okay, you have the use of the word God on the end. So if it's a, got to get my note. Hang on a second because I, I just had this because it was one of Gary's questions. So, no, that's okay. It's, it's okay. So capital L-O-R-D and then, Capital G, little o, little d, is the Son, God the Son, Jehovah the Son. But when it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d, and in capital G-O-D, that's God the Father, Elohim. Okay. So your translators did that so that you could identify who's speaking in the text. So when it is just, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, it's the Son. That's who's talking. And you learn that from the text. Now, in the New Testament, you never see that combo. Because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who's on the, who are they talking about? The Son. There he stands. Okay? So it's Lord, capital L, lower case o-r-d. Follow that? All right? Anyway. Where were we? Verse 11, Isaiah 1, 11. the Lord of hosts, Jehovah. Uh, verse 11, I'm sorry. To what purpose? Notice the question. Is a multitude of your sacrifices unto me, said the Lord. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed beast, And I, notice, delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of the he What? you telling us we got to do all these sacrifices? And what's his attitude here? I'm not, I don't delight in that stuff. What's the purpose? Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. What's the purpose? Come over to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. By the way, what was the purpose of them doing those sacrifices? It, it was for the issue of redemption, atonement. But it was also for them to do what? Obey the the commandments of the Lord. That's ultimately what it was. The commandments of the Lord said, go do this. And by faith, what were they going to do? Go do it. And those that didn't, they didn't have faith. And the issue with faith in all the Old Testament is the issue. Uh, Amos 5. You found that now? Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. 521. I hate... I despise your feast days, Amos 5.21, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. (laughs) You think he's happy right now with Israel? He's not. But just notice, he says, I hate them. I despise them. They're supposed to be a sweet-smelling savor to him, and he's like, not anymore. I don't want to even smell the stench anymore. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about how much animal sacrifice these guys went through on a daily basis, but also on a yearly basis, and the stench from it would have just been, anyway. Go, go back to uh, Micah, or go over to Micah. Keep going. Micah. It's right before that other little book, Nahum, after, after Jonah. Micah, Micah 6, Micah 6, Micah 6, 6. Wherewithal shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Will will the Lord be pleased with all that? The answer is no. He says, I hate it. Micah 6, 6 and 7. I hate it. I despise it. I don't want to have it. Verse 8, he has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You see that on a bumper sticker on the back of cars. They got no clue what's going on, by the way. Now come back to Isaiah 53. They just like, because it makes good preaching, makes a good bumper sticker. Do justly and love mercifully, you know, anyway. Isaiah 53. So the Lord notice God's attitude towards those sacrifices. Don't like them, don't I hate them, they're a stench, I despise them. But, but look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. Talking about the sacrifice of his son. Yet it what pleased the Lord to bruise him. By the way, the Lord there, see that capital L O R D? is Jehovah the Father here. How do you know it? Because the verse, the context tells you. Anytime you run across any word you struggle with, read the context. Read the verses around it. Read the chapters. You know what? Just read the whole book. <laughs> just read the chapters around it. Because sometimes the context will be several chapters long and not just the immediate verses. Or the context, it'll show up after. Anyway, the Lord, it, but it pleased the Lord, Jehovah the Father, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be what satisfied. What sacrifice pleased the Father? What what sacrifice pleased the Godhead? It wasn't Israel's system, it was who? that propitiatorial act of his son, that's what he accepted. That's what made him satisfied. See? So when you come back to Romans 3, in verse 25, and he talks here about the faith through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, that issue back there in time past, he wasn't pleased with it at all. But when Christ, dies the end of the gospels the end of his life there now what is what's going on he's satisfied so the father now (laughs) comes along and says well done there's my son everything's good you see the father had complete confidence and trust in his son's blood through for the remission of sins that are past. Wow, what was going on back there? Again, why did Israel have to do the Passover, the the sacrifice stuff? Well, it saved them from the death angel and the plague, but it became a picture of what, of who? Of the coming perpetuatorial act. Okay, that's the issue of the forbearance in the verse. Forbearance, sins of the past. When he says this in verse 25, he's not remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. He's not talking about individual sin. You know, I've heard this passage used. If you trust God, he'll forgive your sins of the past up here to the moment. Okay? And they use this verse. problem is, is what about the future ones that you're going to commit? Now i got to go over here and get... I, 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 He's he's here you are, you trust him, this timeline. He forgave all that. Now you get over here and you sin. So now you got to go back and retrust him so he'll bring them up to date. See? That's how it's taught, by the way. That's how they keep you working for your salvation. Short account systems ideas come in. Okay? So he's not talking about the individual but rather he's talking about a dispensational issue of time past. Look at verse 26. To declare, I say, what? At this time. In connection to what? The sins uh, that are past. This time, I'm gonna declare his righteousness. Verse 21. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Well, what was the law, what was God's righteousness manifest before with the law? That's the past. Okay? Now we're going to talk about the future here. Just a minute. The issue here that Paul is talking, he's explaining how God was right and not killing Adam the moment Adam sinned. Annihilate and just destroying him. Now, did Adam sin? When Adam sinned, what happened? It's the verses say he died. But how did he die? Spiritually, his light went out. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. God's image, imagery all through Scripture is one of light. In Psalms, it says, your garment is light. You're clothed with light. Their light went out, if you will, okay? Darkness came in, spiritually speaking. But why didn't God take Adam and just go dump him off in hell and keep moving? Why didn't he do that with Cain? Ultimately, Cain gets there. But why not right when Cain killed Abel, did he not just deal with Cain? See, paul that's what Paul's talking about, how God was righteous and not killing Cain at the moment he killed Abel. And how he's able to, how he's righteous, right, in not annihilating and not just destroying the sinner. And that's that issue of the forbearance of God. Come back with me to Psalms 50. Psalms 50. You see, folks... (laughs) When you begin to think about this and what man out there in religiondom says, they blame God for evil. They say he created evil, he did this, he did that. But when you get into Scripture, you begin to see that when God gave man free will, he made a provision for the evil that was coming. And it was his son. The old timers, I read some of these old books I've got and stuff. And they'll make comments about that the Old Testament saints look forward to Calvary. That is not true at all. Okay? You know who looked forward to Calvary? God the Father did. The Godhead did. Because the Old Testament saints, they knew the cross was coming. They can read the prophecy. They had no clue what it was talking about. You go over there in Luke 18... Matthew 13 there when he says he began to teach them about going to Jerusalem and having to die and be resurrected. And Peter says, not so, Lord. (laughs) Let's go to battle. And you know what happened to Pete in the garden? Tried to take that guard's head off. He ducks, gets his ear They had no no understanding until after the resurrection. And then even then, when the ladies come and get John and Peter, and they go up to the... They still don't understand it until he comes back and spends 40 days with them. And then it clicks to the degree. So much so that in Acts 2, Peter doesn't say, by wicked hands you killed our Savior. He said, by wicked hands you killed the King, the Messiah. You did that. He doesn't sit there and say, thank you, Lord, for saving us by your grace through faith. No. It's Paul that comes on and says, hey, we now know it's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That's why having Paul in your Bible is so critical. Because as you come, you're in Psalms 50 here. Because as you go back and you look into these Old Testament passages, Isaiah 53 you begin to apply what we understand to them, and you go, wow, look. at That's that Isaiah 53, the stuff we did last week, Psalms 22. We know clearly now what he was talking about. When David writes this psalm, he, does, he knows something's up, but he doesn't understand what or how or who or when. And that's what 2 Peter over there says. 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 1, when the prophets inquired about the sufferings and the glory, they wanted to know, man, what are we talking about? And the Spirit told them, just write it down. You'll get there. (laughs) Okay? Psalms 50 is a psalm describing how God behaves himself when man sins. Psalms 50, verse 16 but under the wicked God saith what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant into thy mouth into thy mouth seeing thou hast instructed and canst my words behind and I'm sorry casteth my words behind thee when thou sawest a thief then thou consentest with him and thou and and hast been partakers with adulterers. Thou givest my mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sitteth and speaketh against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. You know what? They're engaged in evil. They're engaged in wickedness. Verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I what? Kept silence. Thou the... Uh, Thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. You You know what we would say? God let them off the hook. He kept silent. He didn't go and destroy them. He doesn't destroy the transgressor. He's what? Silent. See, you and I, that's why he says there, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. What would we say? Throw the book at them, man. Throw them, get them, nail them. <laughs> Hurt them, get them, throw him in jail, punish them. And he says, I don't think like you think. I was silent. Come over to Psalms 130. 130. Psalms 130. These songs of degrees here. Psalms 30. Verse number 3, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Psalms 130, verse 3, verse 4, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. If God had held them responsible, accountable for their sins, verse 4 verse 3, who could have stood that? Who could have stood at the justice bar of God? Nobody could. But what was coming their way, verse 4? Forgiveness. See that? It's coming. It's not there at the moment. It's coming. So what legal basis here is God able to, to forgive these guys, maintain his justice, not wipe... I mean, could you imagine if he wiped out everybody the moment they sinned? We wouldn't have been here. He'd had to start all over. <laughs> yeah, the tribulation there will be, but I'm talking about all along. In the, tri- in the kingdom, when, when they violate the law, it's immediate, but the believing remnant is set... The, the Gentiles, that the, goat, uh, the sheep on the right hand, have been, are in the kingdom. They've been set. So now he's just dealing with the rest of the, of the world. But here, he's waiting for something, isn't he? How could he just be silent, let it go? Well, Paul tells us, Romans 3.25, through the forbearance of God. You see, the sins of the past are referencing this Old Testament scene, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he comes along and he says, you know what? Back there, God was silent. He let things go because what did the Godhead know was coming? Who did they know? What was happening? The propitiatorial work. They knew the Calvary was coming. So they're able to let this stuff go. He can forbear it. He can extend the time for the payoff of the debt. I can forbear, I can be silent, because I know my son's coming. And as long as they operated on the basis of faith, you're back there in Romans, right? Look, look over in chapter 4. Chapter 4. Folks, that's how God was able to deal with sin in time past. It was because he had faith in the coming work of his son. The father looked towards Calvary. Now the Old Testament saints didn't. I said that a minute ago. Look at Romans four. Look at verse number, verse one. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now. What did Abraham believe God about? That he was going to die on the cross for his sins and be resurrected the third day? Not at all. When you go back there to Genesis 15, you find out that Abraham believed God about a seed, a coming child. Isaac was his name. Seven people were identified prior to they were born. Isaac was one of them. Okay? So what happens is, is they sit... (laughs) Abraham didn't have any idea about Calvary, yet in Genesis 22, what does Abraham do? Abraham takes Isaac up on the hill, and we see that beautiful picture, that type of Calvary, where he binds Isaac and puts him on the altar. He's ready to slay him, but in that picture... Abraham doesn't understand he's picturing Calvary. Abraham Abraham is is, is operating on the basis of faith in God's word to him about the issue of that seed and the issue of resurrection life. See, faith has always been the issue. That's why Abraham will be later in this chapter and in Galatians called the father of those that are in faith. He's He's Father Abraham. Of those who believe, they're in, now those are my paraphrases, okay? If you go look for those verses like that, you'll never find them. <laughs> okay, But that's the issue. So in 325, yes, whom God set forth. Put it out there, open display. He doesn't hide any of this. The cross work of Calvary has never been hid in Scripture. What's hidden is the meaning of it, the impact of it, how it was going to fulfill and to do. And even that for Israel is made known, like in Jeremiah 31 and in, other, and in the Gospels. We find out that Christ is the foundation for that new covenant, that new, the, the blessing part of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant's the big guy, and he's got sections underneath it the Davidic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, and the new covenant. It's interesting when you study those out we have here in the past and other studies you quickly find out that in the davidic covenant the palestinian covenant and the new covenant god says i will do this for you i will give you a king i will give you the land and i will bring in the blessing for you abrahamic covenant is hey abraham i'm doing this with your seed The nation. Here's your king, here's your land, and here's the blessing. It's fascinating. Nowhere in any of those does he say, you have to do too. Actually, in the three covenants, he says, because you failed to do, I will do it. Who was the first king in Israel? Do you remember? Saul. Saul. was a politician. He made a lot of promises, kept none of them. But they had to have a king like like the Gentiles, and when David showed up, David did everything for that nation that Saul promised to do. David did. He was a man of action. They call him a bloody man, man of war. Go and do it. Solomon shows up, and what did they get? All the blessings, all the riches of the world came flowing in. You got 80 years of a of a, what the picture of the kingdom was going to be like that's why in acts one by the say that question will you restore again the kingdom to us they had a clear understanding that the first part of that kingdom age that establishment of the kingdom was going to be war and blood well what's the second coming all about (laughs) him avenging his enemies the blood's up to the bridle of the of the horses and all that And then what happens in the thousand years? There's Solomon, if you will, and all the blessings flowing, and everything's getting set up and running through. So you got that great picture there. Anyway, Psalm uh, Romans 3. (laughs) I I, I got notes, don't get offline. Stay. That don't work, does it? (laughs) Romans 3, verse 26. So, coming out of verse 25, to declare His righteousness, again, to to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. How can God be just and right and not annihilating the sinner at the moment? Because He knew forbearance of of the payment of the debt was going to be coming. Then in verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time. His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Wow, what a verse! At this time, verse twenty-one. But now, and and we know some. We know something. What now? There in verse nineteen. Now we know what things soever we know something. We have progressive revelation, further information, and actually, what we have is the capstone, the cap on the revelation concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that capping there with Paul, where Paul comes in and says, here's the the top, here's the last stone here in the foundation concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what we know? Guess what he is? The just and the justifier of him that believe. We know he's righteous. And Paul says... At this time, I say, and that's, a, that's that dispensational ding mark here. I say, come over to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. I, I, this, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Uh, Galatians 1. I'm going to go look at something just real fast here. Galatians 1, verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Notice Paul says, I came, not by anybody, not by man, but I came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. And then he says, verse 15 and 16 there, I've come to do what? Reveal his son. That's the plan. Come over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, I'm the guy at the, to declare, I say, at this time. We see what happened back here and the forbearance issue and the propitiatorial act and work and all of that and his righteousness. We see it on display, but he says, now I'm going to tell you something that's going to involve everybody now. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable In the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge, unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Over there in First Corinthians fifteen. He says, I am one born out of due time. And when we started Romans, we looked at that issue about the Apostle Paul. And I tried to tell you that that one born out of due time is a violent act. It's an act, uh, like if you, it, it, it's born out of, it's like a, an abortion here. <laughs> this shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have been this way. Paul's a blasphemer. He's a murderer. He's persecuted the church. He should have never been and yet, what did God do? Ba-boom! He do he, time. And do something. And by the way, you ought to be glad he did with Saul of Tarsus and not Joe Blow of somebody else. Because Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, he's got both in him. Uh, he's got that Jew and that Gentile in him. And what's the church, the body of Christ, made up of? Jews and Gentiles. Verse 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. That's who Paul is. I declare, I say, I'm the due time testifier. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1, just for... Reading verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who hath saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of of the Gentiles. He's the due time testifier of, what, of the revelation of what God is doing now. That's who he is. Come over to Titus 1. It's fascinating to me that Paul went to his grave defending his apostleship. You don't see him very rarely not defending his apostleship. He's been under constant attack since the road of the, to Damascus, Acts 9. Because the adversary knows who he is. You want to see how the adversary works? Go look through Acts. Read through Acts. The first 9, 10, all of them. Chapters. And you want, with special note in this reading of how the adversary works. He's been against Peter and James and John and, and the little flock. And then all of a sudden in Acts 9, it switches to a guy named Paul. So if the adversary knows who God's using, what's wrong with dumb, thump man? Can't figure it out. Anyway. That's a, oh, by the way, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay. Titus 1.1 1, 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness and hope of eternal life which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me, according to the commandment of God our Savior. So when you come back to Romans 3, Paul says, I say, I declare at this time the righteousness of, I'm going to tell you right now that God is righteous. He's right to extend forbearance, if you will, the due date for the payment. He extended it even for you and I now. What was going to happen in Israel's program? What was happening? They just killed the Messiah, didn't they? He died, he was buried, rose again the third day. He goes in, he meets Acts 1 with the apostles, gets them all set up for what? The kingdom, because they're coming. Acts 1, verse uh, 3 there, he talks about spending 40 days speaking to them, things pertaining to the kingdom. It was right there. He says, I got to go, guys. He's already told them, I'm leaving, and while I'm gone, you occupy, you do your job when I come back, we'll take care of you. You'll have sit 12 thrones, judging the 12, uh, nation, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. You'll sit there, and you guys out doing, you'll have authority over this city and that city. You do all this stuff. They send, the, Peter and the guys go, and that little flock is growing. 3,000, 5,000, great multitudes. Great, So many now that they got to go get help to administer the duties, and they pick a guy. Philip and Stephen are the two big ones because they become important. And what happens to Stephen? He gets in there. He gets stoned, a picture of the Holy Spirit, the uncircumcised in hearts and ears. He declared the final cut. Philip goes in, Acts 8, and you know what he says? He says, the Samaritans are ready. And the Ethiopian, the picture of the Gentiles, they're ready. The problem is in Jerusalem, 8-1, there's nobody in Jerusalem but the 12. They're not there. The world's ready, but Israel isn't. So it's time for you to come back, Lord. So he sees the Lord doing what? Standing. Because the Lord's coming back to purge out the dross of Israel. The whole of the 70th week, Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks have been determined upon thy people. The whole of the 70 weeks is nothing to do about the Gentiles. It has everything to do about the nation of Israel. And the tribulation, the great tribulation, the last three and a half, has everything to do about Israel, nothing about you and I. Well, we won't be here, but the Gentiles. Has nothing to do about America. Has nothing to do about Russia. Turkey, any of those Yahoos over there, China, none of them. It has to do with him coming back and cleaning and fixing and getting out the rebel and the dross of the nation of Israel, his people, because it's his people that are going to then turn and go to the nations and clean them up. So you got to understand that flow of the of the channel of blessing. That's, we're going to see down here in Romans 3 where he says, shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. There's something else going on there than just saying it's by faith or through faith. You see, Israel was that channel of blessings. Genesis 12, right? He says, Abraham, your seed, and they're, going to be, they're going to bless the families of the earth. So when you hear the yahoo's start talking coronavirus and all this nonsense about being the end of the world and all this you just go you know they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to scripture. It's not a fulfillment of anything in scripture. It's been happening since Adam fell. You know how you know? Cuz Adam went and worked in the garden and what did he deal with? Thistles and thorns. They weren't there before. Now they're there. <laughs> He's been that's the stickum the vi- virus. They stick you. <laughs> You're going to stick them, okay? But in 326, you know what he says? He says, you know what? It's God is right. I'm going to declare his righteousness. He's right in pushing the due date down to include you and I. That's why every morning you wake up is another day of his grace. And you and I say amen, but you know what? The world should be saying amen. Because what's next for the world? And if you and I understand the propitiational work, and you you and I do, they don't, they need to do what? They need to hear that, don't they? And then you go and do that that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, the believeth in Jesus is the issue. The just and the justifier. His justice is met. He's, his righteousness says that man's guilty, and here it is. Boom, and now he's the justifier. We're going to put man's sentence on the son. The son goes to Calvary, takes pays the bill. The resurrection, there up there, we resurrection says, paid in full, it's done. Now, the end of this verse, believeth in in Jesus. Verse 27, wherein is boasting then. The the, the end of verse 26 is what's now going to get us into the law of faith, which we're going to talk about next time. But the issue of faith, turn to page chapter 4 there, verse 5. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness. What's going to happen here now is Paul is going to establish in the legal document, the courtroom standing that the issue with God is has been and always will be faith. Faith is the only response that to propitiate That the propitiatorial work of Christ will accept. Where's the boasting? How could, if Abraham could boast there, he couldn't do it. Verse 2 he couldn't do it before God, he could do it before anybody else. By the way, Abraham does. You go back there and read about Hagar and Ishmael. But here now, in the legalese, faith becomes the issue so what we learn here is that the basis of salvation justification in every age is the blood no okay verse 25 26 regardless of the age the basis of salvation is the blood the means of salvation again in every age is always faith well but Rick what about when the Israel went and did sacrifices yeah who why in the world would they go and do the sacrifice who told them to do the fat sacrifice God's Word did the commandments do Moses did right but what are they obeying the Word to them, said for them to do what? Go do. They have to have faith in the word. Because if they did, then what did they get? The blessing. See, there's faith. The object of faith is always God's word. It's always God. The content of faith. This is the one is what we're talking about. The content of faith is always dependent upon the dispensation that you're li- living in or reading in. So that issue of rightly dividing your word is the linchpin. When you talk about justification, usually we're talking about being saved from or saved to, unto eternal life. <laughs> okay, that word salvation's got a lot of different meanings again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <gasps> that's Philippians. Well, keep if you read the context, what's going on there? It isn't nothing about their justification unto eternal life. It has everything to do about their, the, their walk in time. <laughs> Work it out, man. Let's get on with this. Figure this out. Be saved from the, the circumstance. Rescue, that's what's saved. Rescued. In salvation, the, all, again, all of it here has to do with faith and what the word of God to you says. Walk in the light that you have, that he's talking to you. That's why when you hear people talk about working for their salvation, a works-based gospel, that, no, that's not what the word of God says to you today in the age of grace. To you the day and the age he says not by works of righteousness Peter looks at Cornelius in acts there and he says by works of righteousness are you saved Paul tells you and I not by works of righteousness so was Cornelius saved into the body of Christ or into the little flock little flock how do you know well, by what Peter told him And by what then Cornelius believed. Cornelius believed Peter, and God didn't go, okay, yeah, but I'm going to put you over here. He's moving in, see. Okay? To declare at this time, God trusted, had his faith, his confidence in the work of his son at Calvary. That took care of the Old Testament through forbearance, that brought it all the way up to the moment you trusted him, and it will bring it all the way out to that future when he finally deals with the sin issue once and for all and establishes the new. But then it will always be there because the propitiatorial act of Christ only happened one time, and the verse in Hebrews says once for all. It'll never happen again. Because it's already happened. Okay? We'll pick up in verse 27, finish the chapter next time, dealing with the issue of the law of faith, and uh, work that, hammer that out a little bit more. Because actually that law of faith goes down into chapter 4, and uh, we'll deal with that accordingly, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. We we'll give you the praise and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.